0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Goletti, and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Glad to be back. We have chapter 19 of Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. And before we get into a reading of that, we're going to go over some of the interesting points of this book um, or this chapter. In particular, this is uh, the thing that stood out to me as I read it was that the Nephites and Lamanites mean different things in the Book of Mormon, depending on where you're at. Sometimes it can be genealogical, sometimes it's geopolitical, and uh, George Q. Cannon even talks about the commingling of these two in this chapter. So how can we see those terms evolving in use throughout the Book of Mormon? Early on at this
1: point, it's a strict statement of uh, genealogical descent. Um, And then you begin to see it evolving, and it becomes more of a statement of culture than one of lineage. I don't remember who... When I first, I was probably John, by the way, actually, in one of his talks where I first actually started to notice this when I was a teenager. Um, you have in the war chapters, they're looking for a Lamanite, but this one by by lineage. And you have somebody like Amaron saying, I am a bold Lamanite when he's a Nephite. Not even just Nephite, he's also a Zoramite. So it becomes a statement of belief, a statement of culture later on. But right now, what we're dealing with are Nephites and Lamanites within the first, third, and fourth generations. This is by lineage.
0: Okay. So in this particular time when George Q. Cannon is talking about the intermarriage Mm -hmm. of them, this is really an intermarriage of lineage, Mm -hmm. not these are people converting (laughs) from other ideologies and other political organizations or lands. Yeah, We also have some things where we can say that this feels a little like George Q. Cannon is giving the, Eulogy, uh, preemptive the summary, eulogy, yeah, of, of Nephi's life and a lot of the prophecies that he brought forward. Um, but we still have two chapters left after this. Don't want to cover all the good stuff now. <laughs> but what were some of those prophecies that he chose to highlight from Nephi's life?
1: Uh, a lot of things with the great and abominable church, things from the tree of life, prophecies of the Americas. A lot of the stuff you read in the, in the middle towards the end of 1st Nephi is what you're seeing here. And he's just really. He's featuring it, and he's talking about it again, because clearly this is very important to President Cannon, and he wanted the youth that were reading his book to know about that and for it to be really ingrained,
0: engraved, engraved by better work, on their minds. Yeah, he's connecting the Book of Mormon to them. He's likening the the scriptures, as we often say. Mm -hmm. But we also have where he takes this interesting leap where he not only mentions the prophecies, but gives the connection that the latter day saints at least the early latter day saints were a literal fulfillment of some of those prophecies. Mm-hmm. Do we have any specifics of what he was talking about? When we forget
1: this point 1880 we're le- we're just over a century separated from the revolution itself, the revolutionary war in America. Revolutionary, revolutionary, yeah, the revolutionary war. For many reading these books for the parents of these re- the parents of these children that are reading these books The heritage of the revolution is very real. And so what it means is their grandfathers and great-grandfathers are soldiers who fulfilled the prophecies of Nephi. Well, the prophecies given to Nephi in his vision. Uh, This is a real thing for them. And it's, it's connecting them. It's welding them together. You can almost look at it as part of uh, Malachi's promise about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Interesting. They are, he's, he's helping them to connect that you are part of this, like you are part of this generation that was prophesied
0: of. This is real. Well, and it also helps to support the truthfulness of the book. Mm-hmm. If these people can say, I see myself as literal fulfillment of a prophecy, then it's you can't deny that, right? You yeah. You see it in front of you. But that was connecting those early saints to Nephi's prophecies. Do we have the ability to do that today, even? I think we do. I believe, I
1: believe it was Adam Miller in his book, Letters to a Young Mormon, who talked about retranslating the scriptures in our hearts as we read. I think that's a very, very valid thing to do. I believe Nephi shows the chapters of Isaiah that he did because they were personally relevant to him. But his fulfillment of Isaiah is not the only fulfillment of Isaiah, just as these applications of these chapters aren't the only application. The scriptures are given to us.
0: And that was the purview of Canon. George mm-hmm. Q. Cannon is a member of the first presidency to, to declare in some prophetic, some, prophetic reinterpretation. Yeah. So these, these stories, youth of 1880s and, and, and even thereafter that would be reading this, this, you are the literal fulfillment of these prophecies. And that's kind of an exciting thing, right? When you think about your part of the legacy. So that is chapter 19 of Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. And again, we uh, we want to encourage people to stay tuned to the last two chapters of this and want to let you know that we are going to tease out in the next couple of episodes what we're going to be doing after we conclude The Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. Exciting stuff. Absolutely. So here we go with a reading of chapter 19 in The Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. the life of nephi by george q Cannon, chapter 19 the separation of nephi and his people from laman and those who adhered to him made them a distinct nation thus two nations the nephites and the lamanites grew up upon this continent as dissimilar and as much at variance in their modes of thought and habits of life and their religious views and traditions and governmental policy and aims as if they were two races of widely separated and foreign origin. Under the influences of two causes, which operated at different periods almost through their entire existence, members of each nation were led to intermingle and identify themselves with the other. These were apostasy from their religion on the part of the Nephites and conversion to its holy principles on the part of the Lamanites. The Nephite nationality had an existence of a little less than ten hundred years. But for nearly the entire first six hundred of these, and a little more than the last hundred, a wall of division existed between them, and they were distinct peoples. They had, however, mingled together at various periods, as we have said, to such an extent that after the last great battle which resulted in the destruction of the Nephite nationality, descendants of all the original families were left among the survivors, so that the blood of Nephi, of Sam, of Jacob, of Joseph, And of Zoram still coursed in the veins, as it does to this day, of those known by the name of Lamanites. Besides, there was the blood of the people known as Zarahemlaites, who came to this land with Mulek, a son of Zedekiah, king of Judah, and who were afterwards identified with the Nephites. The land to which Nephi and his company were led was probably not excelled for fertility of soil, for healthfulness, and agreeableness of climate for abundance and variety of vegetables and minerals, for grandeur and beauty of scenery by any other part of this promised land, and certainly by no other land outside of this continent. It abounded in all the elements necessary to make a nation rich and powerful. It was an earthly paradise. When they reached the new home, they devoted themselves to agriculture and the production of all kinds of useful animals, as they had done when they first landed on the continent. In these labors they were greatly prospered, and they also multiplied rapidly. Their form of religion was in strict conformity with the law of Moses, but it was not with them a religion of empty forms and ceremonies. Nephi had conversed in the wilderness shortly after they had left Jerusalem with the Spirit of the Lord, as one man speaketh to another. For, said he, I beheld he was in the form of a man, yet nevertheless I knew that it was the Spirit of the Lord. He had also heard the voices of both the Father and the Son. The Lord taught him heavenly things, and he led him by his voice from his boyhood all through his life. He understood the gospel of Jesus, and taught it to his people in the greatest plainness, and without doubt administered unto them the ordinances thereof. His exposition of the first principles of the gospel in the last three chapters of his second book is as lucid and comprehensive as can be found in any of the divine records which have come to us. He informs us that he delighted and glorified in plainness, and certainly his prophecies and revelations which he recorded and which are in the Book of Mormon, though they relate to stupendous and marvelous events, are conveyed in such simplicity and plainness that a child of ordinary understanding can comprehend the language. It is truly wonderful how exact and perfect his knowledge was concerning the name of the Savior the name that his mother should bear, the time when and the place where he should be born, the events of his career, the doctrines which he should teach, the apostles whom he should select, the miracles which he should work, and the details of his persecution and death. Though he wrote but little short of six hundred years before the Lamb of God appeared in the flesh, the incidents of his life are given with the minute fidelity of a well-informed contemporary. It is not, however, his revelations concerning these which alone show the extent of his knowledge as a prophet of God. There is scarcely an event connected with our own day that he was not alluded to. A more graphic account than he gives of the condition of the people at the time of the Book of Mormon should be revealed and come forth, and the effects which should follow its publication and the organization of the Church is nowhere to be found. Indeed, we do not see how a modern writer, familiar with all that has taken place in the time referred to, could in the same space give a clearer description of these events than that given by Nephi in his record. This is due, of course, to the inspiration of the Lord which rested upon him. He saw by vision all these events take place, as clearly as if he had been present in the flesh when they occurred. He saw the Virgin Mary, the mother of the Son of God, And he saw him also as an infant and as a man, saw him baptized by the prophet, and the Holy Ghost came down out of heaven upon him. He saw him go forth ministering unto the people, healing the sick, casting out devils, and performing other mighty miracles. And he saw the twelve apostles following him. He beheld the Lamb of God, taken by the people and judged, lifted upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world, and afterwards saw the warfare that was waged against his apostles by the world. The Lord also revealed to him all that should take place upon this continent among his own descendants and the descendants of his wicked brethren. And he saw the Lamb of God descend from heaven and show himself to those who should survive the terrible judgments which should take place at his crucifixion. And that he should also choose twelve apostles from among them to minister to them. The mighty events which should take place among them after this up to the time the Nephite nation should be blotted out as well as the fate which awaited the conquerors up to the discovery of the continent by white men, and afterwards until a remnant of them should receive the Book of Mormon, which should be carried to them by believing Gentiles, Latter-day Saints in fact, by means of which they should be brought to a knowledge of their ancestry and of the gospel which their fathers enjoyed, were all shown in vision to Nephi. He saw that the remnants of his and his brother's descendants, known as Lamanites, would be killed and driven and scattered by the white men who should come to this continent. But they should not all perish. The Lord would remember them, reveal his covenant to them, in which they should rejoice, and many generations would not pass away among them until they should become a white and delightsome people. By vision also he saw that the Jews would be scattered among all nations, and that, at about the time the work of God would commence among the Lamanites, They would be gathered from the various nations and would return to their own land. He has left on record his testimony concerning the great and abominable church which should be among the Gentile nations. He saw that the devil was the foundation of that church. The desires of that great and abominable church were gold, silver, silks, scarlets, fine twined linen, precious clothing, and harlots, and that by it, for the praise of the world, the saints of God would be destroyed and brought down into captivity. He saw that from the record of the Jews, the Bible, many parts which were plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord, all of which belong to the gospel of the Lamb, were taken away by the great and abominable church, the object being to pervert the right ways of the Lord, that the eyes of the children of men might be blinded and their hearts be hardened. Because of this, many of the Gentiles would stumble. Nephi calls that church the whore of all the earth. She sat upon many waters and had dominion over all the earth, among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. He saw that after the church of the Lamb would be organized, there would be two churches only, the church of the Lamb of God and the church of the devil, whoso belongeth not to the former, belongeth to the other, the mother of abominations and the whore of all the earth. He saw that the numbers of the church of the Lamb were few, because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore who sat upon many waters. And though they were also upon the face of the earth, for the same reason that they were few in number, their dominions upon the face of the earth were small. Yet, notwithstanding, this was the condition of the church of the Lamb. The mother of abominations was not satisfied. She wanted the church of the Lamb destroyed. She gathered together multitudes upon the face of all the earth, among all the nations of the Gentiles, to fight against it. How literally these predictions are being fulfilled in our day, upwards of fifty years after the publication of his record, and his record was published before there was any organization of the Church of the Lamb of God, we all know. But Nephi says, and it comes filled with consolation and encouragement to Latter-day Saints, that he beheld the power of the Lamb of God upon the saints of the church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness, and with the power of God in great glory. He beheld also that the wrath of God was poured out upon the mother of harlots, insomuch that there were wars and rumors of wars among all the nations and kindreds of the earth. He was also told that when this should take place, at that day, The work of the Father shall commence in preparing the way for the fulfilling of his covenants which he had made to his people, who are of the house of Israel. Nephi also predicted that those who belonged to the great and abominable church should war among themselves, and the sword of their own hands should fall upon their own heads, and that every nation which should war against the house of Israel should be turned one against another, and they should fall into the pit which they had dug to ensnare the people of the Lord. He said the righteous should not perish, even if their enemies had to be destroyed by fire, for the time must surely come that all they who fight against Zion should be cut off. But he predicted the overthrow and destruction of the churches which should belong to the kingdom of the devil, the great whore of all the earth. The churches which are built up to get gain, to get power over the flesh, to become popular in the eyes of the world which seek the lusts of the flesh and the things of the world, and to do all manner of iniquity. They had need to fear and tremble and quake. They must be brought low in the dust. They must be consumed as stubble. The promises which the Lord made through Nephi in his record are of the utmost value to the church of Christ in our day. How encouraging it is to know in the midst of the deadly hostility against the work of God, and the incessant attacks which are being made upon it, that he that fighteth against Zion, both Jew and Gentile, both bond and free, both male and female, shall perish. Nephi not only saw the emigration of the Gentile people to this land, but he saw the struggle for independence and the results which should follow. He described the growth of the nation, the policy it should pursue towards the remnants of his own and brother's descendants, and the glorious destiny which it should achieve if it should espouse the gospel when it should be revealed and on the other hand predicted the direful consequences which should follow its rejection by the nation. Half a century and upwards has the rejection of the gospel and a warfare against its believers now been continued, and we behold these direful consequences taking place exactly as Nephi, inspired of God, said they would. The condition of the Gentile world at the time of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and the organization of the church in our day is most accurately portrayed. Secret combinations should exist. Many churches would be built up. They would cause envyings, strifes, and malice, and because of pride, of false teachers, and false doctrines, their churches would become corrupt and lifted up. They would rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They would rob the poor because of their fine clothing, and persecute the meek and poor, because in their pride they would be puffed up. Against the wise and the learned and the rich, they are puffed up in the pride of their hearts and all those who preach false doctrines, and all they who commit whoredoms and pervert the right way of the Lord, he says, the Lord has pronounced a woe and said they should be thrust down to hell. The very words which should be used, and which have been used among the Gentile nations concerning the Book of Mormon, after it should be published, are given by this great prophet. Also the course which should be taken by the Gentiles, who would believe and receive it and carrying it to the present Indians, the descendants of himself and brothers, and the effect it would have upon them. Though many churches would be built, they would put down the power and miracles of God, and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning, that they might get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. One would say unto the other, Behold, I, I am the Lord's. And the other would say, I, I am the Lord's. They would contend one with another. They would teach with their learning and deny the Holy Ghost which giveth the utterance. They would say, Behold ye, hearken unto my precept. If they shall say, There is a miracle wrought by the hand of the Lord, believe it not. For this day he is not a God of miracles. How completely and literally these predictions have been fulfilled. The Latter-day Saints and especially the elders who have gone out to preach the gospel can testify. They are eye and ear witnesses to the truth of Nephi's record in the Book of Mormon. The men who have opposed the work of God in these days have not thought that in making use of the expressions they have, they were fulfilling predictions recorded in the Book of Mormon, and which were made upwards of twenty-four hundred years ago. These words were published before the class had been tested by the elders of the Church of the Lamb, for at their publication the Church had not been organized. But the Lord knew the language they would use, He knew the spirit they would yield to, and He inspired His servants to make the predictions. Had Nephi been writing from personal experience with the class to which he refers, he could not have quoted their stock phrases any better. He has given us a picture which possesses more than photographic accuracy of detail, of society as it should exist when the Book of Mormon should come forth, and the changes which should take place subsequent to that event, and the organization of the church embracing also the fate that will befall our own nation and the modern nations of Europe under certain conditions which he specifies. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions Podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.